This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website, powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-215-0465. That's 800-215-0465. Breaching the fault lines of today, this is Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser back with you in our last segment of Reform This, our pilot broadcast. And my goal in this podcast will be every week to empower you, to empower you with education, to empower you with a sense of understanding what we're up against, but also to give you some hope. Too much of this conversation has been missing hope. It is fraught with enraging people to exaggerating our fears and yet often avoiding our fears and and pretending they don't exist when in fact we need to do both recognize that there's a real enemy out there recognize that there's an ideology that wants to not only destroy the west but advance itself globally in a theocratic islam that needs to come to terms with modernity but ultimately We have been not only appeasing the enemy, but surrendering with no offense and only defense. So my goal is to empower you, to empower you with facts, to uh, give you the unvarnished truth of what we're up against without any apologetics and to get past that first step of denial. But we need to be truthful. We need to be accurate. Uh, We can't just be politically uh, correct, but not being politically correct doesn't mean saying things that are wrong, that are without fact and without historical accuracy. So I hope we can do that. You know, there have been a lot of milestones, one of which was we were reminded of this week by uh, Daniel Pipes, who wrote a piece about the Sykes Pico ag- agreement being 100 years old. And that agreement was one that basically carved up the Middle East into the nation states that we know of today in the era of the early 20th century. And what's fascinating about this 100 years is that there are many concerned, and as Glenn Glenn Beck had talked about early on, was, is that whole map going to change? And I can tell you as a Muslim, as somebody who grew up in Wisconsin and loves America and feels that I can practice my faith in America like nowhere else in the world, that the only future that I believe will exist peacefully and with even a glimmer of hope of the possibility of the defeat of radical Islam and military dictatorships is the preservation of the nation states in the Middle East. And those nation states need to be ones not unified with Ba'athism, which was a social fascist party in Syria, or the NDP party of Egypt, which is another socialist, fascist, Arabist, uh, racist party, if you will or the royal families and the tribalisms of Saudi Arabia and the Gulf states, but rather a nation-state unified around the ideas of secularism and liberty, of religious freedom, 
And this is what, you know, you don't all have to become experts in Islam to figure out possibly what could be the hope of the Middle East. And this was the evolution of America. Our four founding fathers, our founding fathers fought against theocracy and ultimately brought Christianity to the point at which it did render under Caesar what is Caesar and unto God's what is God's. And I think ultimately this is the evolution now. It's surely, as we've seen, going to be bloody. It's surely going to be a cataclysmic battle within the House of Islam. But, uh, you know, I think as we walk through this journey together, you'll realize that if the West sits this out, not militarily, because we can't kill all the jihadists, but if you sit this out intellectually and in the battle place of ideas, that vacuum will be filled by more militant, more powerful, more armed and monetarily supported Islamists from the Iran and the Khomeinists of the Shia to the Wahhabists of the Sunni in Saudi Arabia to the Muslim Brotherhood of Egypt and on and on. And the vacuums of those who started seeking freedom like they did in Syria will be filled by the Islamists of the world and the petro-Islamists of the Gulf states when we sit these out. So I think ultimately... You know, I read a great piece by Bob Satloff in the Washington Post last week, which talked about what does never again mean. And he very courageously wrote that in Syria, there have been two genocides happening. One started by the Assad regime and now has killed almost half a million human beings, 95% plus, which are Sunni attacked and killed and slaughtered by the Assad regime simply because they are Sunni and because they were part of a revolution. A revolution that did not just start as a Sunni revolution, but started as a revolution of all Syrians in the urban areas, I'm sorry, in the rural areas that wanted to be free. And then it spread into the urban and the metropolitan areas of Aleppo and Syria and Damascus. And now we see that genocide continue with Aleppo these past few weeks surrounded and beginning to be wiped out with carpet bombing and tanks by Russian, Iranian, and Syrian government weaponry and helicopters and planes. That's one genocide. The other genocide that Congress appropriately called a genocide was that being committed by ISIS against the Yazidis, against the Christians, by identifying those in the in those faith communities and identifying them for slaughter and that clearly they had as a mission to wipe out those faith communities out of their areas in Syria and Iraq and there's no doubt that ISIS left to their own devices would do everything possible to eradicate every other faith including moderate Muslims who disagree with their theocratic fascism their Islamism from the planet. So in Syria, there's been a genocidal sandwich between the Assad secularists, supposedly, but rather Khomeinist genocidal slaughtering of Sunnis to the ISIS genocide against those in Syria. And both have, I think, should be causing us to pause in that what is the role of America? Samantha Power, our ambassador to the UN, wrote literally wrote the book on genocide and yet has now seen in the eighth year of the Obama administration 
an administration that has sat on both hands as it has done nothing to speak out or act out against those who cross their red lines and use chemical weapons and the Middle East continues to devolve. It's no longer a civil war in Syria. It's a regional war. And again, this is not to say that we need to send our sons and daughters into war. But rather, what is the solution? What does victory look like? And I think ultimately victory looks like the advancement of civil society, the beginning of a new generation of those who since 2011 have gone to the streets to show that they reject oppression and they reject dictatorship, but have been left alone by the West without a strategy, a West that has sort of left them to fend for themselves from Tunisia to, to Egypt to Syria to Iraq. You know, for those who say that Iraq would be, uh, um, has demonstrated that we should stay out of there, I would ask you, just think for one second, what would Iraq look like today if Saddam had been in power during the Arab awakening of 2011? It would look like Syria on steroids because it's the same militant fascist regime. He would have used chemical weapons. He would have used anything possible. And the the contained chaos that we see today in Iraq is nothing compared to what would have been under a Saddam regime during this Arab awakening. So we have to put things in context of where we are. This is not to say that President Bush knew that an Arab awakening was coming, but this is to say that one cannot say that what we invested and put into Iraq was all for naught. I do think that the newspapers and the media that we see flourishing in Iraq, despite its chaos, is orders of magnitude forward from what we see in many of the other nations post-Arab awakening. I do think, as we go on this together, victory will look like what we've begun to put in our declaration of the Muslim reform movement. A two-page simple declaration that I would ask you to look at and find at muslimreformmovement.org. So for those who say, how do you vet refugees? For those who say, how do you vet movements inside these countries? For those who say, how do we figure out which mosques in America are on our side versus those who are against us? We sent out, and this is 14 different organizations that signed the Muslim Reform Movement Declaration, organizations based in Canada, Europe, and the United States that got together and participated in a summit that we uh, convened the American Islamic Forum for Democracy, an organization that I chair. Our website is aifdemocracy.org. We convened a summit, an anti-Islamist summit in Washington. It happened to be a day after San Bernardino. And I'd ask you to go to our website, look at, at muslimreformmovement.org, look at our press conference and the, the courageous leaders. I'm just one of them of uh, 14 different leaders that made very bold and clear statements against Islamism and about what victory should look like. And our Muslim reform movement not only stuck our necks out, but began, we believe, a movement that will begin to catch on. We've sent our two-page declaration, which isn't only what we stand against, but it also says what we stand for. And we think that can be used as a template. We've sent it to every mosque in America. We're waiting for responses from most of them. We've sent it to every uh, celebrity Muslim that you see on television, on other podcasts, on those who are not being held accountable. 
And we ask them, where do you stand on these issues? And the questions are simple. Our two-page declaration says, we stand for human rights and peace. We support the equal rights and dignity of all people, including minorities. We reject violent jihad. We reject caliphism and the caliphate. We reject dictatorships, theocracies, and Islamist extremists. And we rather stand with those who seek freedom. We reject tribalism and monarchies and patriarchies and consider all people equal with no birthrights other than human rights. We support the equal rights of women, including the equal rights to inheritance, witness, work, mobility, personal law, education, and employment. We stand for secular governance, democracy, and liberty, and we're against all political movements in the name of our religion. We separate mosque and state. We stand against blasphemy and apostasy laws. And the declaration goes on. It's short. It's only two pages. And yet, that document can stand, we believe, as a litmus test for those. If you Now listen, to get to the point of believing in those principles as Muslims, I get it. We have a long way to go to reform to get to those ideas. But to get to them, once we say this is where we're going, then the West can believe us, can know that we're on the, on the side of, uh, of Denmark, of Britain, of Finland, of France, of Canada, of the United States of America, that these countries that are based in freedom and democracy, we stand with you because we share your principles. We don't abide by the Cairo Declaration of Human Rights, but rather by the UN Declaration of Human Rights. So look at that document. I'll be... You referring to it on any of the issues that I bring to you from week to week as I join you in this journey against political Islam, against radical Islam, and for the protection of our nation, our great nation, the United States of America. So thank you for joining me and Reform This, and I'll see you next week. You're listening to Reform This, the Blaze Radio Network.